Coast as close as the mailbox, on the web at mainboats.com. National Native News, the news source with the Native perspective. Hear National Native News on this station from Public Radio International. National Native News, Monday through Friday at 6 o'clock only on Morning Maine. This hour of Boat Talk is made possible in part by Gamble and Hunter Sailmaker, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the Maine Windjammers for over 20 years. Near the harbor in Camden, gambleandhunter.net. It's 9.59 and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. That's uh, Schooner Fair with our usual boat talk theme, theme song. Thank you very much to Schooner Fair. It is indeed 10 o'clock on the second Thursday, Tuesday of the month, time for boat talk. Boat talk is the uh, call in radio show here at WERU FM Blue Hill 89.9 and 102.9 in Bangor. Call in radio show about. Uh, people contemplating things naval or whatever you happen to be contemplating in the naval regard it's uh, with your rusty anchors mike joyce and alan sprague two guys old boat carpenters who uh, know a lot of seamy stories and are willing to hear yours too if you can keep it clean seamy i like that yeah i thought you'd you know kind of the butt of a joke as it were yeah all kinds of great words in boat building aren't there, there? are yes yeah so uh it is our usual Two selves here. We're middle of January, freezing, freaking cold out. Why are we talking about boats? We didn't even mention talking about ice boating yet, too. We should get around to that. No, and uh, we have, uh, we were approached uh, last month, I guess it was, and I I really uh, didn't do anything about it this morning, but uh, Rebecca from out to Franklin, uh, her dad was an ice boater and wrote some poems, and he's passed on. And so we're going to have some ice boating poetry. I'm thinking next month. Okay. Um, unless, she, unless Rebecca calls this morning, you, you one would never know. That would work. This we, is would, a, we would allow for that. Botox is something we run kind of loose. Yeah, it is a call-in show, as Mike says. one 625 9378 is the number into the studio. Yeah, we've got plenty of things to talk about this morning. Uh, we hope to, in a while, get uh, Bob Stevens and Paul Waring on the phone from down to the uh, Brooklyn Boatyard. They've gone into business with Steve White and a new design um, uh, offshoot of the Brooklyn Boatyard business down there. Um, we got to talk about pirates. Yeah, we, we got to talk about pirates. Also, yes, we we got yeah. to get to the pirates. They're big in the news. They are big. Yeah, and we have our uh, normal uh, roundup of maritime news over the last month. Uh, things to talk about, and of course, we interrupt ourselves about any time to talk to you if you give us a call. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Here's a real cool one. It was uh, he made the TV news the other night, and uh, the people in Portland got a big kick out of this. The the TV anchors in Portland were were quite taken with our friend Diver Ed. 
Oh, it was down in Portland. Yeah, uh, well, it was on the it was on the Channel Two News, but okay. it was the it was out of the Portland uh, place, and they were doing this Bar Harbor story. <laughs> they had some film of Diver Red on his boat talking about sea cucumbers. We think they're gross. They just you know, but you see them underwater with their antenna out and they're eating and pooping and <laughs> and they just couldn't contain themselves. And that is a character, Diver Red. No, not out. Has been a uh, guest here on Boat Talk, Ed. Um, Diver Ed and his wife Edna suffered a uh, tragedy over uh, Thanksgiving time. Uh, there was a big blow came by, and their boat, the Seal, which was loaded with about everything they had. He has a lot of electronics. He does underwater photography, under, yeah. live underwater stuff. It's uh, a yeah. lot of <clears throat> electronics don't get along very well with salt water. Nope. Diver Ed runs something called the Dive-In Theater. He goes overboard, he's, and uh, he'll take out some school kids for, for one instance. He's the underwater superhero. Yeah, underwater superhero. will go down, and he'll film things, and then Edna will be upstairs, and uh, she will uh, narrate what's going on, and, and they have you know things that they bring up and they touch, and, it's, and uh, Ed is just a character. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and they lost their boat, uh, went ashore in the storm there. Yeah, lost its With morning. gear on it, um, probably, they say here, $50,000 worth of gear besides the boat. Yeah, I spoke with Ed yesterday. He uh, is still in the negotiating with the insurance company, but I don't know how much of the uh, the gear is going to be covered there, too. It, you, you never come out ahead when you're dealing with insurance companies. No, they had a uh, benefit uh, just last week, though, and they raised, uh, I think, like 125 people showed up. Uh, the quote was, when you mentioned that Eddie Monet needs help, people come right out of the woodwork. That's true. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they raised like $11,000, and they're thinking of uh, building a new boat is their new plan right now. Mm-hmm. And working on stuff that they've salvaged, but it hasn't been much. New camera system, for instance, uh, you know, uh, oh, there's a five thousand dollar camera here might save the cord, sort of thing, yeah. you know, and and just uh, yeah, that's the way it goes. Lives on it. Boy, that's you know. So uh, uh, our friends at the Town Hill Market have set up an account at Union Trust, of the Eddie Monet yep. Fund, and so if anybody is uh, like to make a donation, miss the fundraiser, that you can still contribute to uh, the resurrection of Diver Ed. Just go to any Union Trust uh, branch and uh, make a deposit to the Diver Ed Fund. Yeah, well, I like to say, uh, couldn't recommend people more hardly than Diver Ed and Edna there in the Dive In Theater. We need to thank the Kennedys. Got an email from these people uh, a month, two months ago. We talked to uh, Steve Rinker out of Hamden, who's uh, made a 10-foot boat in his spare bedroom and launched it out the window and is contemplating an around-the-world in 10-foot boats race that has just been... The start has been postponed a little bit, but um, I hear it's still going to go on. Uh, we hope to talk to Steve at some point. Left him a message, haven't, haven't uh, been really in touch with him and can't get too far on the roundin10.com website. But I was uh, trying to remember a book that I, I had uh, read... Years ago, and if you're interested in, in small boat voyages such as Steve uh, Rinker's uh, contemplating going on, uh, the Kennedys pointed out this book here, which is exactly what I was uh, trying to remember. It's called A Speck on the Sea, Epic Voyages and the Most Improbable Vessels, William Longyard, International Marine. And uh, just a great little book of, uh, it's not little either, of, uh, you know, all kinds of people that have set out in an small and improbable vessels All you can measure small wow stories huh? yeah you can measure small <laughs> several different ways but anyway it's uh we have to thank those people for it's why speck on the ocean yeah boat huh? talk such a cool thing it's a two-way street check you know it out. here's an article from the paper uh, i believe it was just the other day uh 
The G Moose buoys out in the Gulf of Maine, there's 11 of them. They provide uh, weather data and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. hydrological data, too. Uh, no money for such a thing anymore, and there's 11 of them. Well, it looks like only five of them will be funded next year. Hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, these, more information you get, the better better informed you are. Well, you would think so, but um, like I say, it's... it's uh, you know, budget crunchy time, and and uh, what can we do without so. now? Uh, yeah. You know, who goes out there? There's nothing out there anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, there is maintenance on those. I go out there. <laughs> so anyway, here yeah, speaking of the Gulf of Maine, a large number of right whales were just spotted in the Gulf of Maine. Uh, about uh, oh, what is it here? About seventy miles just due south of Bar Harbor on Jordan Jordan's Bank, Jordan Basin area. Um, they do regularly regular um, air patrols of the Gulf of Maine. And they have divided it into grids, and they found that there are some grids that the whales are more likely to be in than others. They're chasing food. Mm-hmm. And the thing about the Gulf of Maine is a basin surrounded by shallows that uh, is very unique in its circulation and, and its geography. You've got to look at a large-scale chart, see how the uh, Georges Banks offshore kind of almost closed the thing off. And um, the, the oceanography is very interesting. It's not that they... Um, these 44 right whales that they've seen are out of place, but it's a new thing to find so many. They find them through the winter in, in smaller groups, but they think that this is uh, possibly um, a refining of their method has allowed them to find these, these whales. Some of them, the females, go to uh, the Florida area in the wintertime to give birth, mm. but not all the whales show up in Florida. Where are the other ones in the wintertime? Well, could be they're just right here in the Gulf of Maine. There is a big concern with these right whales. Um, they saw 44 the other day uh, in one place. There's only, what, 315 of the 325 whales is they, the total yeah, population. They are very endangered. To... Yeah. And uh, so anyway, the uh, thing is that fisheries restrictions have come about in efforts to save the right whales. The whole thing about changing over. Fishing and shipping. Yes, shipping yeah. as well. But it's fallen quite a, you know, uh, the fishermen would tell you it's fallen heavily, more heavily on them. Perhaps they don't have as good a lobby I have, yes. I've as the some, shipping people yes, is the story. So that sort of comment, yes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, so it does matter that these things are out there. And, and again, there are only a couple hundred of them. There is a lecture this uh, Thursday night. Um, no, I think it's Friday night. Oh, let's see. The first lecture in the Marine Environmental Research Institute's uh, Ocean Environmental Lecture Series is going to be called From Weather to Whales, Connections Between Climate Plankton and Right Whales in the Gulf of Maine. It's this Thursday night, January 15th, 7 o'clock at Mary and uh, Main Street in Blue Hill. Um, this uh, is being given by a fellow named uh, Andrew Pershing. He's an, a professor at the University of Maine School of Marine Science. Hmm. Yeah, if you're interested in more stuff about uh, right whales, the phone number, 374-2135 for Mary. A uh, lecture going on Thursday night. All right, my turn. Oh, any time, man. we got all kinds of stuff to talk about here. Okay. Um, I have to thank a Boat Talk listener named Paul who uh, sent an email to uh, Boat Talk at boattalk.org. And uh, informed us about a, a website I just showed you a little bit ago of a, a fellow who has made a canoe. Looks like a canoe. It looks like a canoe. What's it made out of? Yeah. Um, see if I can get the, uh, the website right here. It's made out of 
garbage bags, plastic trash bags, you know, grocery bags, you know, the, the ones you get when you go to... Have we laminated them, blown them up? I mean, what? Uh, how do we use the garbage they, bags? We shredded it's them? It's only and pictures, and they're, they're not very... Uh, that's not very important. There's only three pictures, yeah, and they're yeah. not written. There's no, no. Uh, We're boat builders. No description we know how. Yeah, and it looks. It has the shape of an, a, a good-looking canoe. Um, it's at the website. In case you'd like to check it out, is mattburkesculpture.com. That's Matt Burke, B-U-R-K-E, sculpture, all one word. That's Matt with two T's. Mattburkesculpture.com. And you go to that and you look at images number um, eight, nine, and ten. I think they are, and it shows pictures of this canoe that he's made. Um, but I, I kind of think like the idea of recycling materials like that and making it into a, we, a usable usable boat. Looks like they just took plastic bags, stretched it over uh, some sort of a bamboo form that they made, and then put that clear packing tape over the whole thing to sort of make the outside skin. Oh, wow. You can make anything with packing tape <laughs> or duct tape. That's cheating. Yeah, all well, duct tape, yeah. But it's uh, it's still recycling too, except for the new tape. Reading a kayaking uh, sea kayaking book here. We got we're gonna quote from later. It's uh, what's it called? Uh, sea kayaking illustrated. Uh, John Robinson, boy, that's a good book. Uh, Ragged Mountain Press. Mm, he uh, pretty cover commends duct tape as one of the great forces of the universe. It has a light side, a dark side, and of course, it's one of the forces that holds oh, yeah, the universe it, together. Yeah, you know? it's, uh, yeah right. It's uh, very Star Wars. Twenty first century material, isn't it? Yeah, we're doing boat talk this morning, uh, second Tuesday every month, and uh, we take calls. I'd like to make a contest actually of uh, some people having a, a team of two or three and a big, huge pile of garbage in front of you, and to a person could make it. Make a canoe or a, some sort of vessel. Thanks for reminding me. We, I think, covered a story uh, a while back on Boat Talk about uh, trash in the ocean, and somebody had come up with a, um, a trash raft, and I think it's called Junk Raft. Junkraft.com, I would try. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is to survey the trash in the sea from a raft made out of trash in the sea. Yeah, it does bring a whole new uh, meaning to the word junk as a vessel. Yeah. <laughs> we covered also a boat made out of corks that did a river... Uh, Cork Boat was the name of the book, did a river voyage in mm -hmm. Portugal. Um, how about the, uh, what was it, the cattail boat, somebody yeah, called it. May or may boats. not have been a hoax. We, no, yeah, we, we, yes, we were. We're easily confused. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we were just plain ignorant. <laughs> so anyway, let's, uh, boat building news here. Uh, Bath Ironworks about to lay off um, almost 200 workers, and uh, that is in a workforce of 5,700 people. Um, they are in, starting to be in between boats here. They're finishing up the, uh, the Arleigh Bur Burke destroyers, uh, which they've been building for years. Bath Ironworks just recently declared a national treasure by the chief naval officer, uh, highest uh, man in the Navy there. Among other things, they've got the time to build an Arleigh Burke-type destroyer down by a million man-hours over their experience for that. So anyway, these uh, 200 people are in between the end of the Arleigh Burks, and there's a new kind of boat, the DDG-1000 warships were envisioned now. Um, they are too funded now. They've uh, basically scrapped the program and amid some controversy and a lot of money flying around. Two of them will be built, one in Mississippi, one in Bath, and they're trying to figure out what to build next after that. But uh, Bath Ironworks, of course, is... Uh, you know, big business, and no matter what you think of warships, you got to have a navy, and somebody's got to build the things, and we're really good at it. So yeah, well, my rant about Bath Ironworks and Biloxi too is that they don't have to build just 
warships. I mean, they could make some really fine hospital ships, too. We got <clears throat> certainly a demand. I agree. Um, you know, it's sort of like them uh, big cars. Who can afford for us to build them mm. um, would be the other question. Uh, shipbuilding is centered in Asia nowadays. And, uh, you know, um, I guess there's reasons for why they make our blue jeans over there, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So anyway... Here's an interesting one, a Nova Scotia study put out by uh, GPI Atlantic out of Halifax. And their conclusion um, studying the Nova Scotia fisheries is that there are only a handful of lucrative stocks left after years of, quote, fishing down the marine food chain. And basically what they're left with now is shellfish, lobsters, shrimp, um, crabs, scallops. Okay. Yeah. They are the bottom uh, end of the food chain when you're talking about uh, right whales, uh, codfish, uh, you know, yeah, the pelagic so. fish, uh, your ground fish and stuff. Uh, you know, they're mostly gone. Now, um, as you become more and more your eggs in one basket, bad things can happen. Oh, yeah. You know, and they point out, among other things, there's been a dramatic increase in the number of closures due to uh, red tide and other toxins. Um, just since uh, 1995, you know, there's been a dramatic increase, hmm. um, among other things. And, and uh, they also point out a stratification of the fishery in age, how young people in Nova Scotia now are not, not getting into it. Oh, yeah. They have a harder fishery to enter than we do here, which is somewhat restricted, too. We have apprentice programs for kids to get into lobstering and stuff. It does happen. Um, possibly more than it does in, in Nova Scotia. But uh, their point is an interesting one, that we have fished down the food chain and we're left with the shellfish, sh shellfish yeah, at the down bottom. To, down to periwinkles. Yeah, periwinkles is another good one and uh, exactly the point. And, you know, um, uh, how to diversify, how to keep uh, the thing uh, to be a model that can keep going on. Uh, you know, through time and, and uh, like, say, people. Sustainability, is, yes. Interesting question, isn't it? It's a concept, isn't it? Yeah. 1-866-625-9378 is the number here at Boat Talk. We're uh, talking about boats and stuff this morning. We hope to get the uh, people from Stevens Wearing and White on the phone in a, in a, a few more minutes. But mm -hmm. we got, um, you know, uh, like, say, a roundup of the maritime news we're still working on here. I have a, um, one that I thought. Probably you and I would never do on Boat Talk right now, but is uh, a thank you going out to uh, President George W. Bush. He uh, set aside a very large chunk of the Pacific Ocean, the Marianas Trench, Marianas Island, some other um, coral formations around the, the western Pacific. A very large piece of uh, real estate has now been protected, or in theory is going to be protected, especially from overfishing and the coral degrading that's going on over there. Marine sanctuary is the idea. Marine sanctuary, yes. Yeah. So thank you, George Bush. There you go. Um, <laughs> it's uh, the last time you'll hear that. Here. And who knows why, um, you know, or how things happen uh, in the political world. Uh, yeah, you're saying that it's going to be a, a repository for uh, nuclear waste in the future or something. No. Well, I wouldn't think that, but, you know, like I say, who knows uh, uh, how or why things happen in the political world would be an interesting question uh, of, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, where'd that come from, how to, how to get organized would be what I'd be interested in. Anyway, we have some business to talk about. Yep. And uh, Amy's going to get the uh, Stevens wearing and, and white people on the phone. Here's another one from just down the road at Union River Boat Company. Uh, my friend Richard Ryder is a... Uh, 
They're running a fiberglass shop down there in the Bucksport uh, Industrial Park. They have formed a partnership with Lyman Morse down in Thomaston, and they are talking with a third person who is known as the customer, <laughs> who is uh, un, un, uh, unidentified at this present time, but this customer has been doing some research and has come up with a boat design, and as Bell Ryder says, um, projects um, making up to 100 of these sailboats a year, and this is pessimistic forecasting, they say, taking it boats a year into is... account hard times. The boats would be molded, um, the, the molds would be made, and then the boats would be molded and produced at Union River uh, Boat in Bucksport there. Uh, all the parts, the deck, the mold, the hull liner, if there is one, little hatches, all that, mm. uh, all the parts, shipped down to Thomaston where they'd be assembled and, uh, you know, uh, tested and sent off. And they're talking about in the, uh, within five years getting up to like 100 boats per year. And uh, they're going to start this process uh, in March or April. Delivery to the first hull, Lyman Morse, is in July or August. And uh, they're also talking about a $125,000, uh, oh, I know what kind of grant it is here, but I'd have to find it in the, uh, well, I don't have the what kind of grant it is, a CDBG business development grant. Um, so anyway, and, and what are hard times for the boat industry right now, because let's face it, we've been running off the top of the cream of the stock market. Yeah. Is where all these yachts come from, or a lot of them anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, that cream having soured a little bit, uh, the boat business has slowed down. There's no doubt about it. Um, not to mention people aren't really building lobster boats this year either. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting how people are, are uh, trying to make business. We have on the phone, do we? Yeah. Uh, Bob Stevens, maybe. Yes, I'm here. Paul Waring? Paul, is, we're having phone trouble over here. We worked this out yesterday, but it's not working today. Let me give it one more try, if you don't mind. Oh, we're very patient, sure. Okay, hang on just a moment. Yeah. They've got a business phone with, you know, they can both pick up at the same time, see if we can get both of them on the phone. Not, Down in Brooklyn. Somehow it's not working. I don't understand why. But, well, uh, we'll see what we can make of you, Bob, anyway. <laughs> we'll just have to, have to have me on the spit, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Stevens on the phone. He's the uh, chief design uh, guy down to the Brooklyn Boatyard. I've been chief design guy for years, and uh, we just had a, a sort of a restructuring where we created a new name for the design office down here. Uh, the new name is Stevens, Waring, and White, and that reflects the fact that we have essentially three equal partners in the, uh, in the organization, which is very much the way the operation has been operating uh, for years, and it seemed like a good time to give people the recognition that was uh, that was due them, and uh, and also to open up a new uh, uh, kind of a new venue where we can uh, market the design office as a, as an individual element and sell design services to more people than the Brooklyn Boatyard. That's right, and that in fact reflects the way things have been working for a few years too. Um, we, for example, currently we have a 90-foot yacht under construction here at Brooklyn Boatyard that we've designed, but we completed the design of that boat several months ago, and for the last six months or more, we've been working on, uh, on design work for uh, a fairly wide variety of clients, ranging from a fellow out in Michigan who's building a very challenging 43-foot sloop in his uh, 
in his garage, essentially. It's a big garage. Um, all the way to uh, through French and Webb over in Belfast. They're building a 29-foot uh, hybrid diesel-electric launch of our design right now. And uh, also a 43-foot production fiberglass sloop that will be going into production in Florida later this year. Pretty cool. Um, let's back up to the beginning here, Bob, and let me ask you the boat talk question. Now, what happened to you when you were young to make you uh, crazy about boats? Well, it's a pretty interesting question. Um, <laughs> I fell in love with, with uh, boats and boat design before I'd ever been on a boat by myself, essentially. Um, and so it's hard to pinpoint what triggered that. I had quite a lot of interest in, uh, in 18th century naval history and uh and shipbuilding of uh of the old days you know all the tar and hemp and stuff like that um grew up on hornblower exactly. and maybe kenneth roberts and that yeah, sort of stuff yep all that stuff Me too and man <laughs> really enjoyed reading that stuff and sort of fell in love with the uh idea of seafaring and and uh moved pretty quickly from from there to uh to first um Early American work boats. I f- found the work of Howard Chappelle, and uh, and then from from there into work boat inspired yachts. And now I find myself designing boats in uh, you know cold molded wood and carbon and foam and all kinds of exciting things. Well, one reason I asked that question, Bob, is is you and my um, estimation, and I admire you for it. Are you have some great skills as a designer? You actually know how to build boats. Well, that's something that we've we've really felt is a very strong attribute of this design organization. Both myself and Paul uh, Paul Waring have uh, have great background in in hands-on boat building. And of course, our third member, Steve White, who <laughs> must be the smartest of us all because he's smart enough to be down in the British Virgin Islands right now, um, has has grown up essentially at the Brooklyn Boatyard. So he's he's been deeply involved in building boats, uh, having boats built around him since he was a baby, so he's got 50 years of experience. says here uh, in, in the uh, article in the Ellsworth American that uh, Steve will be involved in, quote, conceptual design and marketing. He's what you call the rainmaker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's that's not right. enough. It's like fishing. It's not enough to design a boat or catch a fish. you got to sell it. Well, that's right. That's right. And and everything we do is uh, is custom, so... Rather than putting designs out there and hoping somebody buys them, we we need the client first, and that's what makes this job so exciting. Is uh, is every client that comes to us has a different take on just what the perfect boat is for for him or her, and so uh, to a large extent, this this is a, uh, as much a psychological business as it is a, a, an engineering or. A, or construction business to uh, to create somebody's dream that also reflects uh, your own artistic personality and style um, is is extremely challenging and extremely rewarding. Well, that's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the you know the essence of design. Basically, um, a lot of geniuses have turned themselves to boat design for a long time. You know, and and we're still thinking up new ones and and. Uh, isn't it sort of like music in a way? There's only 12 notes, you know? Exactly, but uh, but there are so many different ways to interpret uh, those 
12 nodes, for example, um, that, uh, that it's an endlessly fascinating problem. This uh, book here I brought in this morning, Sea Kayaking Illustrated, uh, John Robinson, which is a really excellent uh, brand new book about sea kayaking, but this is from the thing on kayak details and design. says, uh, most boaters have a vague notion that boat design is a precise science instead of a precise notion that it's a vague science. <laughs> Anytime you talk with boat designers about why boats do what they do, they start throwing out caveats such as all things being equal, there are no absolutes, and the tendency is... When two or three boat designers get together, they start fighting, it says here. But I thought that was interesting. Um, it's not really a precise science. It's sort of a, it is kind of, there's some voodoo in there, isn't there? Maybe someday it will be a precise science. It's getting closer and closer, um, especially in, in the higher performance areas of both powerboat and sailboat design. Um, but the problem is so huge just the problem of, of figuring out the, uh, the resistance of a hull sliding through the water is, is so huge that it takes the largest computers that we've developed yet to even approximate the kind of fluid dynamics that we're, that we're talking about. And so what's been really amazing to me over my career is how successful human intuition is at getting at these problems of the natural world uh, it's it's really remarkable to just sort of have a gut instinct about how a boat will slide through the water and uh, and give it a try and see how it comes out. <laughs> I'm seeing an old fisherman sitting at the kitchen table with a cup of tea, uh, you know, carving on a half model right exactly, now. Exactly. Trying to figure out how he's going to build his next boat, you know. And I think an awful lot of uh, of boat design is, is still exactly the same way, except that now we do it in uh, three-dimensional computer models on a computer screen and it can measure anything and calculate everything and rotate things and it's kind of a miracle but it's still the same thing of of looking at it with your eye and i think to some extent we lose in translation because we can't physically put our hands on the half model you know we're still looking at the hull shape as though it were a half model in the computer but but we can't run our fingers across it and i think that is in fact a loss now, while we're talking about uh, you guys and, and Brooklyn Boatyard there, we've got to mention Joel White. And also, I think Wooden Boat Magazine's been really good for business, hasn't it? The whole, the whole connection there and a lot of publicity. Absolutely, especially in the early years. Um, I think that, uh, that in the late 70s and through the 80s, there was a great symbiosis between the boatyard and, and the magazine that I think helped everybody in the Wooden Boat industry. Uh, certainly the magazine has been tremendously influential in, uh, in revitalizing the industry and, uh, and showing people that they can still have a beautifully made handcrafted object that, that represents you know, a lot of joy as well as a lot of value. And exposing people like Joel White to you know, a much bigger audience, Yes, which is good for everybody. Yeah. Also says here, interestingly enough, in the Ellsworth American article, um, that um, you guys are confident that the office's remote location is uh, more of a benefit than a problem for business and that you can get clients down there and show them what you're doing at the boatyard as sort of a field trip for them. Right, right. People really respond well to, to a physical walk through the boatyard, again, putting their hands on, on the objects that we are building. And, 
and it really gives them a, a much better sense, I think, of, of how, how much fun the process will be and how rewarding the result will be than it ever could if we were sitting around a table in a high-rise office in, uh, in New York City. That's almost cheating, man, because you're, I mean, you're selling a dream, but now you're getting them to touch somebody else's dream for a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. <laughs> keep, keep some canned cedar smell in the back, you know, to spray before they come in. Yep. <laughs> um, Bob, this is Alan. I'd like to go back to the electric diesel boat for a minute. Sure. Uh, you, you, I guess you must have had a customer come to you first, then asking to make a, a, a sort of a green-powered boat, as it were. Is that right? That's exactly right. Um, um, it seems to me a little bit um, philosophical break there, because if you want to travel most green, why didn't you have a sailboat? But that aside, the, I thought the uh, diesel electric things worked was uh, in cars, when the car was coasting, it was recharging the batteries, and that, that's really not going to happen with a, with a boat. How does this, um, how does, how do you get energy other than just running the diesel all the time? Well, that's, that's, you're really right that there isn't as by any means as much efficiency to be gained in a boat as there is uh, in a car even in the best case situation and this is not even the best case situation i think that you can make a good case for a diesel electric power plant especially in a moderate sized um, moderate sized auxiliary sailboat a cruising sailboat where you have in addition to propulsion needs you also have uh, what we call house needs in the business, where you need to uh, run your, you need power to run your refrigeration and your electronics and your lights and all that sort of stuff. And then it can make sense to have a power plant that will provide that kind of power efficiently when you're at anchor, but also provide propulsion when you want to move the boat. Uh, in this case, this is a uh, day use only launch. It's a it's an open boat. It's um, 29 feet long, which is fairly long for a simple day boat like that. But uh, but in order to get a very efficiently driven hull, we've made it long and narrow. Um, the owners came to us. As, in fact, uh, they do own both a kayak and a sailboat, and they spend lots of time in in the kayak. I guess they own a couple of kayaks and a peapod and a sailboat. They spend lots of time moving around uh, the Deer Isle thoroughfare under oar or paddle. Good for them. And, uh, and they wanted a boat that would be a little bit more able and a little bit give them a little bit more range, but still offer the same feeling of open open air exposure to the elements and most importantly, quiet operation. Uh, so that was one of the big driving forces behind the electric portion of the uh, of the power plant uh, an electric motor running from batteries will provide essentially silent propulsion so they charge the batteries at shore at night and have them ready in the morning that was what they do well the, the concept with the boat they're going to keep it on a mooring which means that we can't plug it in and charge the batteries that way mm -hmm. um, so the concept of the boat is kind of twofold it has some solar panels on a canopy over the cockpit, which will help rejuvenate the batteries. By no means enough to propel the boat at any time in in real time, essentially. But uh, but they will provide a boost to recharge the batteries. Uh, and then the diesel engine provides both 
charging power, and uh, and a fast and reliable way to get home. The way I, the way the owners and we see this boat being used is, uh, they have battery capacity to run at five knots for about four hours, and so we figure they'll head out ten o'clock in the morning, something like that, poke around all the islands down in Merchants Row for about three hours maybe getting as far as 10 miles away down by Isle of Ho or something like that. And then when it comes time to come home, they start up the diesel engine and they run home quickly. Uh, top speed of the boat under diesel is about 14 knots. And while they're running home, they charge the batteries so they can do it again the next day. Couldn't end up getting caught by uh, headwinds or running out of juice, could you? Well, that's what the beauty of the diesel is that... Uh, even if you do run the batteries flat, you still still yeah, have the diesel. Still got the diesel. Yeah. Yeah. Hope it's a hand crank. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> nice. You guys, um, you're known for, as I say, you, you actually are hands-on boat builders, you and Paul, and are known for your detailed work and drawings down to the Brooklyn Boatyard. Um, I don't exactly know how to ask this question. I mean, uh, aren't you already full-time employed? Are you, are you trying to fill up your time or your ambitions with this new business scheme here? Well, uh, as I say, we've we've uh, nearly completed the design work on the project that we're that is being built at Brooklyn Boatyard right now. We have maybe one or two more detailed drawings to uh, to supply for that boat, and uh, uh, but we won't launch that boat until June or July. So we're looking at a at a six month gap that needs to be filled. And of course, uh, we're also looking to the future. We we. Uh, we have more capacity to design boats than the boatyard does to build them. Um, and in addition to that, we feel that we can offer very high-quality design work and great attention to detail and, and help out other clients and other builders by making that more widely available. Excellent, Bob. Good, good business plan. Bob, do you happen to have a uh, a website or any place where people can see pictures of these boats? Yes, we do. We've just uh, just created a new website separately from the boatyard that we're very proud of, and the address is www.swwyachtdesign.com. Stevens wearing in white. Uh, exactly. Bob Stevens, Paul wearing. Paul's a bad daddy, and I say that as a compliment. Not as an indictment, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alan and I also do music shows here at WERU, the Barefoot Blues Hour, and the Extra Large Soul Show and the Bad Daddies are a local blues outfit. Yeah, I can do this the old-fashioned way and simply pass the phone receiver to Paul if you'd like to uh, say a few words to him. I guess we could say hello to him for a minute. Okay. Thanks for talking to us this Hang morning, Hang on Bob. just a minute. I'll Thank get him Bob. on the horn. Yep. So anyway, uh, covering all the bases here while we're doing it, we're talking to uh, Bob Stevens and and Paul Waring this morning. Stevens Waring in White, new design office down at the Brooklyn Boatyard. Hi there. Good morning. This is Paul Waring. Morning, Hi, Paul. Paul. How are you? I'm good. How's, how's things going there? Good. We're just pointing out you were a bad daddy and uh, saying that that's a compliment, not an indictment. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I like to sing the blues at night, you know. It's my night job. Yeah, and uh, we've been playing the Bad Daddies record here over at WERU. Really like it, to tell you the truth. I've been thinking about this interview in the last couple of days. I've been singing, ain't got the time to myself <laughs> running around all day. So. Well, that's great. Yeah, we really appreciate the uh, the airtime that ERU has given us. Paul, what made you uh, nutty about boats when you were obviously, uh, you know, 
how'd you how'd you get off track as a young young fella? Well, you know, uh, I I grew up on the Oregon coast, and um, my my father was was very much into boats himself and uh, fishing and sailing and and all that, and and so at an early age, I caught the bug just being exposed to sailing uh, through my father, and. Um, and uh, soon found myself essentially working uh, as a uh, my first job was working in a boatyard and in a marina in my hometown and painting bottoms and spending a lot of time uh, picking up debris and working for the craftsmen that were repairing boats there at the at the marina and um, just kind of caught the bug you know and so I found myself uh, you know spending a lot of time sailing and racing and um, you know being with other folks that had boats and. Uh, spending a lot of time growing up as a child um, with my family on on our family boat, uh, cruising in the summertime, and uh, you know, it just kind of became a it's a contagious disease, as many of us know. Built a dory with your grandfather in there somewhere. That's right. I like that part. Yeah, that was kind of a rough and ready uh, project, and uh, but it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and it really kind of struck some chords for me, um, and. That made me. It kind of led me uh, to pursue uh, learning learning the craftsmanship that goes into building boats. And um, so, you know, I I pursued various jobs growing up as a kid, not only working at yards but um, working for for builders. And I, I built canoes. Um, I built uh, some dories. I've built. Uh, more conventionally constructed, uh, old-timey kind of sailboats. Um, so yeah, it's kind of kind of all over the boards, really. As a boat builder, who's you know, um, uh, Alan and I are aging. I don't know about Alan, but I can't do some stuff I used to do. My body doesn't fold up like it used to. <laughs> I can't fit into places. I, you know what I'm saying? That's right. You know the upside down the sail locker kind of thing, and and uh, I very much admire your your uh, direction towards the pencil and the clean office there. Well, yeah, you know, I, I kind of got to a point uh, after many uh, different, I guess, directions I had taken uh, going through through college and, and um, other parts of my uh, my construction career, as it were, um, you know, where I realized, hey, you know, boy, at, at some point, I just don't want to be, you know, crawling around on my knees underneath a boat. And... Um, and uh, it seemed like really, uh, you know, the the challenges that that are offered in in the design um, and drafting of, uh, of of well of any of any boat really is is is, is uh, interesting and it's uh, it's a challenge. As I said, it's a it's a it's a great way to to make a living working with people that are interested in being on the water. Um, and you know it's not as hard work as as uh, as say pounding uh, rivets into the side of a hull. And still um, managed to sing the blues. <laughs> still managed to sing the blues. You yeah. Know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yacht designers sing the blues too. That's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. It's a it's a good way to make a living. Excellent. Well, Paul, we're glad to talk to you this morning, and Bob too. Um, you know, wish you all the best down there at Stevens Wearing and White S W W Yacht. Uh, what was the uh, Yacht, de- yacht Design. Yacht Design.com. A lot of W's in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate uh, your thinking of us and uh, having us on the program. Oh, glad to talk to you, man. Okay. Yeah, well, have a good Bob. day there. Take care, guys. Bye. Yeah.
1-866-625-9378. Yeah, we, uh, of course, can uh, just rattle on and boat talk anytime, uh, but we... The point is, it is a call-in show, and, and it would be a terrible thing not to... Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of websites, though, I forgot to mention that I did, in fact, put up pictures of uh, Mike Young's new ice boat pictures taken just last Sunday, so we've got some fresh ice boat pictures. But it is ice boat time, but the conditions are not good now. The ponds are covered with snow and a layer of crust and stuff, and yeah. it looked good for a couple of days there. I haven't... Oh, it was good. I am down to two skates now, and I I can't get the third one back easily, so I'm kind of out of the ice boating game for Uh-oh. the present time. But anyway, <coughs> we might be able to scrounge up a piece of metal to make you a new skate. Yeah, home. well, there's more to it than just uh, you know, it's there's a lot of work to making a good pair of skates. But anyway, um, we're doing boat talk this morning, and again, we'll interrupt ourselves about any time to speak to you. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is the number here, Amy Brown, standing by to hook you up. We uh, really do want to talk about piracy, though. Um, really uh, big in the news lately. The um, uh, Well, there was just a uh, ransom the other day of a Saudi tanker, which is about one of the biggest tankers in the world, holds $100 million worth of uh, crude oil, and they parachuted the money down onto the deck. Uh, we're talking like $3 bucks. And then the story gets even better. The... Uh, some of the hijackers got in a little boat and went to shore with money in their pockets. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, in rough seas, the boat capsized and five of them drowned. You know, but there's no lack of pirates waiting to take their spaces, the article pointed out. Yeah. Here's, uh, I find this just fascinating. Um, and it, it uh, you know, re-emphasizes a po- uh, point we made on Boat Talk uh, a while back read a book uh, called The Outlaw Sea, William Langwish. And uh, his thesis is that there's three-quarters of the world uh, covered by the ocean, and it is uh, essentially ungoverned and ungovernable, and that the laws of the sea, the International Marine Organization through the UN, and and, uh, all the conventions and laws of the sea are a comforting facade and that, uh, you know, um, it opens us up to terrorism for one thing, but from an um, editorial by Gwyn Dyer in the, in the Bangor Daily News, how about this for a question? On one side are, are the eight navies, the world's largest shipping companies, the rich Gulf states that need to get their oil to market, and the great powers, who commerce depends heavily on the shipping lanes around the Horn of Africa. On the other side are a few thousand Somali pirates in small boats with light weapons, why are the pirates winning? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, you, the laws of the sea are are pretty uh, pretty much in favor of the the pirates already to begin with. You can't shoot at them unless they shoot at you first. In the old days, they had something called universal uh, jurisdiction. Now let's think of the Barbary pirates, the shores of Tripoli, and William Bainbridge, and uh, Pre- Commodore Preble, and you know. Uh, Hornblower, as we were talking about before, what would Hornblower do? Well, he'd go, you know, he'd go attack them at night in their camps and cut out their vessels and steal back, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But we don't do that judges. anymore. The um, UN uh, Convention of the Law of the Sea, for instance, says that a warship must send a boarding party to a suspected pirate vessel and identify the people aboard um, and their criminal intent before... They open fire, yeah, right. and as Gwyn Dyer points out here, the colloquial term for members of any such boarding par- party are, is hostages. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, 
And uh, so anyway, here's another thing. Um, well, we have, have a call. Why don't we go to that quickly and all right. get back to this. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hey, good morning, Alan. It's me, Diver Ed. Hey, Diver Ed. Ed Monet, how are you this morning? We were talking well, about you. I know, and I heard you this morning. Can yeah. you hear me okay? Yeah, you had a big benefit yeah, the fine. other night, Ed. Tell us about yeah. the party you had. and, and uh... Yeah, there was, a, there was way more than 150 people there. But anyhow, it was uh, it was awesome. People came from all walks of life and uh, showed up, and it was really fun. There was, there was a, I didn't have anything to do with it. I just showed up there, but there was a silent auction and a live auction, and um, people donated all kinds of money, and, and uh, it was really, really nice. You didn't have anything to do with it except for you were just being you. Except for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the it's second second benefit. You know, the Town Hill VIS had one earlier, and I think, um, you know, there's also a, uh, something coming up in the future, too. It's not as much of a money thing, but a, a chance for kids to get together and do, a, a, like, a talent show about um, uh, the wacky stuff that happens on our boat. <laughs> So you lost the seal. Um, I saw Edna on the TV news, and she was saying that the current thinking is to build a brand new one. Yeah, yeah, we're we're looking at a uh, H and H has a forty-seven by nineteen. We could. Our problem is we, you know, we'd like to, you know, if we could find a used boat, we'd go for it. But we're looking for glass, and we're looking for a single screw, and you know, to carry the amount of passengers, everything that's available right now is all twin screw or, you know, something that's 20 passengers or something like that. Now, if you were to, uh, uh, like say, get hull, you'd uh, finish it off yourself sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, right, community right. boat building opportunity, perhaps. Yeah, that's exactly right. There's uh, tons of people who have already offered to help. And, uh, you know, Steve Stroud, I don't know if you know him, but he's a lobsterman in Bar Harbor. He took me um, uh, scallop diving after my boat sank and... Uh, and he got laid off from Hinkley, so you know we'd be able to hire him on. And and um, he's so, an electrician, right? Yeah, he's a he's Excellent. an awesome yeah. and and just brilliant to begin with. He's really uh, uh, ingenious with it, you know, just about anything to do with boats and stuff. So, well, there's a couple of uh, interesting things here to me, Ed. One is that uh, no matter how good you are at boating, uh, you can still get your ass kicked by a big wind in in the fall, you know, and. And oh, yeah. um, it's also a great community story, really, isn't it? Oh, my God. I can't even believe it. You know, when Lily first came to me and asked me if I would be uh, receptive to benefit stuff, I was like, no, 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 we'll, we'll figure it out ourselves. And then once it kind of hit, you know, how much stuff we really lost and how little the insurance was going to cover of it, we, Ed and I had both said, okay, let's go for it. <laughs> And sometimes the wisdom is just to say thank you, and ex- and but it's got to be mind-blowing to accept that kind of generosity, isn't it? Oh, man, people have been emailing me and, uh, you know, sending us letters and stopping me on the street and giving us money or cards or coming to help do stuff. Like right now, you know, the last couple of days we've had uh, neighbors coming over to help us build our barn now that we're, you know, um, scallop season's over for the first half of it, and and uh, people have just been coming to help with everything. It's totally amazing. You'd certainly like to get in business for the summer again, wouldn't you? Yeah, we are. We're, we're coming fast. We're, yeah, we're we're gonna 
we'll be in business one way or another. If it doesn't look like the boat's going to be done in time, and you know, because we have to go through all the stuff for inspected vessels through the Coast Guard, which is the hard part. If uh, you know, we're hiring Steve Hudson, who's uh, has also benefited, uh, has also donated like half of his time doing the uh, marine architect work, and he's worked with H and H on passenger vessels and stuff. But you know, if if it looks like We'll be up and running with that boat for the summer. We're going to do it. If not, um, is uh, you know, it's, we might have an opportunity to lease something or work something out. I know Steve Pagel has been really kind to us and helpful, and he's also uh, got a couple of extra, you know, wooden boats that might get us through for a little while until the new boat's done. Excellent, Ed. Um, we uh, mentioned before that they're they're taking donations at the Union Trust Bank. How else could uh, somebody get a hold of you if they're interested in helping in any way? Yeah, they can see the you know uh, Diver Ed PO Box eight seven zero Bar Harbor zero four six zero nine or Ed at DiverEd dot com. Ed at DiverEd dot com. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a wonderful thing you do there, Ed, and uh, I know that uh, you. I mean, and the beautiful part is that you love what you do, and and I uh, hope it all comes back together for you. Yeah, me too. I think it will. Everyone's been really, really generous and helpful, and and um, it, I think you know between uh, people helping out and uh, you know in all different ways, we I think we'll be up and running, no problem in the spring. Excellent. Great to hear from you this morning, Ed. Okay. Yeah, all thanks. right. Take care, guys. Thank thanks you. for calling, Eddie. Okay. Bye bye. Yeah. Diver Ed, speaking of, uh, you know, people we were just talking about. So, um, 1-866-625-9378. We got about, uh, oh, five or six more minutes left in Boat Talk before they cut us off here this morning. We were rambling on about pirates and uh, yep. why nobody's uh, just, like say, knocking them over the head and stringing them up like they did in the old days. Well, supposedly they've been making a, a coalition force to go and patrol the area, but I have a report right here from uh, the last, well, it's ended January 9th. But in that report, there are uh, seven, eight different piracy, uh, two two actual seizings of boats and six attacks by pirates in just the last week. So it's uh, Denmark caught some people and then they let them go. Uh, they said they didn't have jurisdiction to prosecute. The British Navy, the Royal Navy, has been given directions by the British Foreign Office not to detain pirates of certain nationalities, including Somalis. Because under the uh, international human rights laws, they're afraid that they may claim asylum in Britain. Mm. And again, it's wicked complicated nowadays. Yeah. In the old days, it would be that if, if, um, you know, if a vessel that had the American flag was taken, the Americans would want to do something about that. What does Liberia care? What does Panama care? Um, as I said, the, the organization the and, and the, um, you know, the, the whole law of the sea thing... A comforting facade is the point that uh, this fellow, William Languish, makes. Okay. And there's somebody on the phone. Yeah, we do have. We have one more last-minute caller getting in here. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Howdy. Thanks. This is Doug Day uh, sitting hey, in Doug. Rockport, frequently of Swans Island. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Doug. Yeah, we know you. Uh, the, yeah, instead of a musical question, I've got a, a, what I think is a simple boat question. I, I recently bought uh, Valencia, Olin Stevens sailboat after uh, a million years of waiting to get a real boat and but my question is about my little gaff rig sailboat um, that I've been varnishing for 20 years in my barn in Swans Island and uh, that's now, a lot of coats of varnish 20, it is. 20 and, and, years. And, and there were probably 50 years before 
um, on there. Well, John Sims uh, sold it to me, um, and we kept it going. And my son is um, 11 and eager to keep it going. So my question is about varnish and stripping. Um, little 16-foot gaff rig boat with tons of varnish. If I leave it in the yard in the sun, for example, I can almost... Uh, it gets warm, and it's just like you put a heat gun to her, and you can bring up, when I don't want to bring up, about 50 coats of varnish. And now I've got one plank looking at me, bare, stripped wood, and I've got you know 50 coats of varnish on the one next to it. So finally, I'm, I want to give up that patchwork quilt, and I want to strip her down. Wood it is what, what the term is. you got to wood it. Get wood it all it back to term. wood. Yep. My question is, with a guy not equipped with boatyard gear, um, what is the what what is the way that a, a lay carpenter, uh, experienced furnisher of a of a non professional sort should attack wooding a small boat? Professionals use a heat gun and a really sharp scraper. Mm-hmm. Yep, and when you use your scraper, um, make it an extra long handle on that scraper so you don't burn your knuckles. But, yeah, that, that uh, most everybody I've ever seen, is that's the way to go. Was and I just a purchased a $100 uh, Makita heat gun, right. and I want to know, and I noticed that the attachments on the nozzle cost another $30 each. What is the uh, preferred? None. No nozzle at all. Right. Let her, let her rip with as much, with a broad? You'll I'm, find it only does about a, oh, a two, two-and-a-half-foot square inch area. And it'll melt time. it. You've got to scrape it off while it's hot and molten. Yeah, you got to sort of keep moving as you're going. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll develop the technique pretty quickly. Sort of keeping, and painting, it's keeping a wet edge, and this, it's keeping a, you know, a, a melted edge. And when you say a sharp edge, you mean an actual broad chisel or what? Oh, no, uh, a, paint a paint scraper, and you need to keep a file right in your back pocket and learn how to keep the thing just as sharp as you can. Yeah. Right, and um, if you, and obviously a tow rail that has always been in my way of trying to get a clean, um, a, a clean seam, you, you bite the bullet, remove the tow rail, and anything else, and have at a uh, boy, that'd be nice, but it's a lot of work. Is it? Yeah. I mean, if you want to rebed the to- the only 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 way I'd re I'd take the tow rail off is not for varnish, but if I wanted to re reseal it, re rebed it, mm-hmm. you know, refasten and, and mm-hmm. restick it would be the best reason. If it for ain't that. broke, don't don't fix it. Though. Well, the, you know, you can break things very easily around an old <laughs> boat. Mm-hmm. Trust me on that. There's also um, I one time. Uh, uh, helped chemically strip a Hinkley with a, you know, a, uh, oh, this, the joke was, why is that boat next to the dumpster not in it? You should have seen the varnish on this mm-hmm. thing. And uh, uh, we used a water-based uh, paint stripper. That worked fairly well, too. Um, that whole project was uh, severely compromised by time stuff, and we even built it up with jet varnish, which you can put on a couple of coats in a day, and I wouldn't brag about that. But Was there a reason to employ both? methods, uh, some chemical, some heat, um, is there an obvious place or an obvious job on a stripping job that uh, you should consider one or the other? Interesting question. I think the biggest thing about the chemical strip is you really got to get that stuff off of there. Right. You know, you've added it, now you got to subtract it. It's a poison, that's why it works good, and, you know, um, it does add a complication there. Hear that music in the background, Doug? Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your call. Best of luck with you. I'd like to talk to you anytime. Doug, of course, a musician out to Swan's Island as well. 
Um, we apparently run out of time for boat talk this morning. We didn't solve the pirate problem, but we had a good time talking to Bob Stevens, Paul Waring, and Diver Ed and Doug Day. And hope you had a good time listening. We do this second Tuesday every month. Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island, redfernboat.com.